Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Clubs, clubs, clubs. The Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast. But what made you so sure that this was the best place and this was the right decision for you? It's Arsenal, you know. Come on, it's Arsenal. Welcome back to Before Me, There Was No Crime. We do so well with the African-Americans, very strongly, an Arsenal podcast with Alexander Manny and my very good friends. George V. Uh, Bradley Adams. I feel like I should say my uh, my air conditioning machine just made a sound like I'd liquidly shat myself. Um, so look forward to hearing that, boys. Uh, is that is it? Is it going to make loads of noise in the background through the podcast? No, I've turned it off now. Okay, I've turned it off. So how much are you going to sweat throughout this whole thing? Uh, I'm going to sweat more than you during the absolute pasting you took on Twitter from <laughs> Chelsea fans. So that it's not like that broken because I don't, I don't, I don't know how much you're actually sweating from it because you're right, as we were saying, kind of off air, boys. Let's start here. Welcome back to the Different Knock and Arsenal podcast. Hope you're doing well. Uh, happy Monday. Let's say I was a trillionaire, not far off, you know, a couple of years. And I decided I wanted to invest in a league. Let's say, let's say the Austrian Bundesliga. I go, mein Herr, let us take the money. Okay, never do that again. <laughs> I go and buy Rapid Vienna. All the other clubs that I can't <laughs> name, because <laughs> I can't name you any other Austrian clubs. RB Salzburg. Yep, the other ones. I go and buy them all. And then what I do is I think, ah, I know what I'll do. I'll go and make a cheeky little investment in a Premier League club. Let's say, for example, Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace then go out and spend a billion pounds in a transfer window. Because they know they can sell every single one of those players at an inflated price to the Austrian Bundesliga. Now, that may be legal, but is it right? Is it right? No. It also sounds an awful lot like money laundering. It's absolutely crazy. I'm, sh- I'm, sure, I'm sure you know what I'm referring to, listeners. But obviously, this is the news that has come out about... The Saudi private investment fund investing in Clear Lake, um, Todd Burley's um, company, holding company for Chelsea. Look, I I don't think any of us on this podcast are going to pretend to be financial experts, but this is something that I don't want to ignore because I think it is deeply, deeply unfair. The situation I described would not be accepted. It doesn't matter how how much of a percentage the fictitious trillionaire invests in, in in the Premier League club. It doesn't matter how much it's legal. It's legal to wear Crocs. You shouldn't do it. Like, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. And to me, I'm sorry, it's cheating. 
Maybe that's a hot take and maybe people will disagree with me and I would love to debate those people. I've been cooked on Twitter if you've missed it by Chelsea fans. George, give me your reaction. Um, I think ultimately people are kind of using the legal system as a moral compass and we know that not to be the case. I mean, uh, we can look as far as our own team. I won't get too far mm-hmm. into that. But, uh, you know, I think ultimately if the question is moral versus sporting competitiveness, I think everybody would agree what Chelsea have been doing, not just when this news broke out, mate, but I think in terms of the transfer window was ridiculous. I mean, it was a loophole. Every club could have done it. Um, but I think them breaking the transfer window in consecutive windows and continuing to be able to fund that kind of mentality takes away the competitiveness of sport in general. And it doesn't allow for um, really what was the big issue with the Super League. Like if you really go back, the fans' big issue was the competitive marketplace, right? That was the reason people were opposed to the Super League. If you're really going to get down and dirty in terms of the integrity of competition, people didn't like the fact that it was a closed league, that there was no possibility of people entering the fray. And I draw a lot of similarities with these type of owners who are able to spend expeditiously, uh, unwavered, and uncontrolled. Because then now I end up getting a competition that is faulty, that isn't a competition, because nobody is on the same equal playing field. Ultimately, when you go into sport, you abide by certain rules. And if somebody is breaking those rules, they are no longer allowed to compete. That is the basis of sport, not football, not whatever. This is a basic level of understanding any kind of competition. So for me, when I looked at it, I mean, it didn't surprise me, but uh, it, it kind of added to the anguish I've always felt with Chelsea. Like I've gone pretty hard on Twitter myself with Chelsea for the last I don't know, year and a half, because I've seen the writing on the wall in terms of what the last couple windows have done. And then it didn't surprise me, let's say, that they found another loophole. They were doing it for almost two consecutive windows and since Todd Bowley's come in. And so I've been very worried about what this would mean for the sport in general. Um, People want to hide behind, well, your club could do it too, and it's legal, but that's not the debate. The debate is the integrity of sport. Cry more. Yeah. Cry more. Yeah. <laughs> Cry more, George. Yeah. This is the thing. It's like, look, and we've seen we've seen multi-club models before. That's it's not the same thing. I've seen people say, well, you know, city group, whatever. No, because ultimately, at the end of the day, you go back far enough, it's all coming out the same bank account. And these people don't own the entirety of one league, which by the way, is owned, you know, by billionaires who can then go and sign Khalidou Koulibaly for £32 million or whatever it's going to end up being, or maybe he's 32 or whatever. I don't know. I can't remember. Saw the numbers and saw Red Mist. But Brad, like, at some point, we've had the Super League. We've had state-owned investment. Like, how how do we... (laughs) Maybe this is the wrong podcast to ask this on, but... As Arsenal fans, I think we, and I know we try and come at things from an Arsenal perspective, and this is ultimately an Arsenal podcast, and we will get onto habits and all the transfer rumours and stuff, but none of that matters if there is not a basis of sporting integrity. And things like this, I just think are mental. And look, maybe the FA are going to deal with it, whatever, but the fact we've even got to this place to me is is wild. It's absolutely wild. Yeah. Listen, I'm going to come at this completely from the angle of an Arsenal fan, because at the end of the day, I think if you look at how Todd Bowley's ran the club, whether he manages to get himself out of his own FFP ruin or not, I don't have any faith that they'll be challenging us anytime soon. So um, I think the clubs that this affects are the smaller clubs, uh, the Brightons, the Brentfords, the Crystal Palaces. 
we've missed a big, big part of this story, and that's that the Saudis also own Newcastle. So there's now also interleague situations where you can have two assets that you own trading and trading assets rumors for, that Cucurella yeah, for separate prices. Was going to go for thirty million or something? Yeah, uh, and no, no club does that. No club does that. Sign a player for sixty-two million in the window before and then sells them to a Premier League rival for thirty million pounds. This is this is the problem. Um, it's I think it's it's difficult because it obviously isn't cheating, but there's a difference between a contractual loophole that allows you to um, write your expenditure over a number of years and an egregious abuse of wealth that is allowing you to buy yourself out of every hole that you put yourself in. That's the problem. Brighton, Brentford, all of these clubs have to be good at their jobs and they have to be good at what they do because they cannot afford to get things wrong. With situations like this, with the oil money and the blood money, it, it doesn't matter if you make a £106 million mistake on Enzo Fernandez, and he's not the guy that you want because you can sell him over there for the exact same fee and knock that off your FFP books without probably any money really changing hands. It's all going into the same bank account. The only thing you're actually going to do is pay tax on it. That's the problem, is that it doesn't It doesn't affect, it won't really affect Arsenal because, you know, other than... But, but Brad, like, I, us, I, I, I may, maybe, maybe it will, maybe it won't. Sport. It's the integrity of the full sport and the idea that there is a competitor in the league who is able to do this. It's, it's not okay. And you said earlier, it's not cheating, it's it's legal. Yeah, but I, this is my whole point. It's like, okay, it's yeah, not... Yeah, no, I know. It's, it's a problem for me that it's legal. You know, that, that, um, that's... Yeah, yeah like, it, it, for me, it, like, I don't think those things things are necessarily, you know, I, I can't remember, whatever, can never remember which way around it is, mutually exclusive or not mutually exclusive. But I don't, I think those things can coexist. I think it can be legal and cheating. Like, I think, I think it's like, basically, what is cheating? And to me, I would define it as using an advantage to gain yourself points, whatever it is in whatever, you know, an advantage in the in the field or arena that you're trying to cheat in that other people literally can't do. Like they 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 you know and and it's it's just like the problem you know, with okay. that logic though is City spend a lot more money than other clubs because other clubs can't do it. Do you then define that as cheating? But what I'm saying when I say other a handful of clubs could do it. But I'm sorry, you know, for as you say, the Brentfords, the Brightons, whatever, they're not going to get people who own an entire league somewhere else and can buy all their players off them. They're not going to have that situation. They're, that is unavailable to them. There's only yeah. a handful of those people. So therefore, to me, it is cheating. Oh, yeah, I, I don't know what... Look, there's no solution. I just wanted to, to say it and, and bring it to people's attention and talk about it because I just think like... And, and look, as I always say, as I, as I say about Fabio Vieira, happy to be wrong. Happy. Because I, I, the outcome that I'm that I'm you know that I'm worried about, I don't like. But and if this is not going to be a problem and whatever, then then fine. But I can't see at the moment how this won't become an issue. And you know, there's other issues, there's sports washing and all that sort of stuff. But ultimately, I just hope the Premier League do something. I hope the FA do something. There's got to be serious regulations. And I suppose, like George, maybe just to close this off, like the most worrying part of it is like. And you shouldn't take fan temperature by by online fans. 
I don't, yeah. I don't think it's not the it's it's not solely the place to do it. Thousands of people in my Twitter DMs today, Twitter mentions, and and actually in my DMs as well, cry more. Ha ha! You're just jealous. It's like you care more about that than the integrity of football. Really, you care more about transfers than the integrity of football. <sighs> my problem with it all is that it is it is legal. I don't know how we've gotten to a situation where it's legal or allowed within the rules of our sport to own two clubs in the same league and to then be able to throw Deadwood to another league that you also own for inflated prices in aid of cooking the books. That's why I call it money laundering, yeah. because it is. Everyone knows that Kaladu Koulibaly... Yeah, everyone knows that the asset of Kaladu Koulibaly is not worth the money that Chelsea paid for him. But not only are they going to extract the same transfer fee as they paid for him, but he's on £295,000 a week. They're going to get that off the wage bill. No club would do that. It's going to be the same with all of their other expensive mistakes. There's, it's it's Ed, Edouard Mendy's going... Uh, Ziyech is going. All of these players for inflated fees to cook the books. It's, it's This is my problem with it. It's not that it... I don't understand with a multi-billion pound sport how no one has thought of this and, and readied for this outcome. Like the, We've known for a while that the FA are asleep at the wheel, but this is the clearest indictment that the people that actually run this sport are also fucking clueless. Because I guarantee you, you stuck 15 people like us who run these podcasts in a room and come up with doomsday scenarios. This is one of the first 10. And we're just random white guys who sit in our bedrooms yeah. and chat about <laughs> Literally, shit. Literally, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't, I don't, That that's what pisses yeah, me off yeah. about this whole situation is... I don't know how it's managed to get this far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How fucking stupid is that? Yeah. Should we just cry more, George? Look, I, I, I don't want to say like I kind of had this internal crisis almost twelve months ago when I first saw what Todd Bowley was doing for me because I felt look, I didn't know the specifics of clearly like happening. I am not claiming to be that kind of genius, but what you know I was seeing was somebody finding a loophole legally, but doing something I didn't morally agree with. I mean spending that amount of cash in consecutive windows for me felt like cheating already. And, and I was sitting here saying, okay, if they've already allowed this, what is the next step from a club? It's almost like, not to get too political, but you know, like it's almost like when you see the global climate of what COVID happened, a lot of people were saying, okay, well, what will happen next in the next COVID? What will happen in the future if we saw these type of restrictions now? If the UEFA is responding to Todd Bowley in this way with the loopholes. How are they going to respond with another infraction? And and the fact that I didn't see a strong, hard line from UEFA just meant, well, I'm kind of losing hope for the competitive landscape in general. And that was the anguish I was feeling back then. So I think for me, um, ultimately, it's separate to what is legal. And I think the biggest concerns that all three of us here on the panel share is this lack of sporting integrity. That is what the fear is. It has nothing to do with what's legal or right or debating the semantics of it, because I think that's what people get lost in. Um, we're here questioning the idea of will sport be competitive in the future? Because if you add more Todd Bowleys, it won't be. That's as simply as I think I can put it. 
You'll destroy the football league. Yeah. You'll, you'll destroy the football league. As, as soon as we create a situation where this can occur, every single Premier League club, because of the amount of revenue they generate and because of the amount of Newcastle, are case in point that sports washing works. They are owned by a murderous regime who picks off journalists, uh, who dissent and kill them. Like that's that's not even alleged. That's a fact. They behead people in the streets in that country, right? It will not be long if this is allowed to continue until every other Premier League club is owned by those types of people to sports wash. And then we're in a situation where the competitive gap between the Championship and the Premier League is just irrefutable. And you will just have a certain amount of clubs. It becomes the Super League. There's no relegation. The, 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 it will be a 20, it will basically be a 23 to 24 team league where the same three teams that go down just spend a year in the championship and then go straight back up. And Spurs will still be shit. Yes. <laughs> One of my favourite responses to this, by the way, was a Chelsea fan that said, yeah, it is cheating, but basically, you know, think think of the bad luck we had with having, you know, with our previous owner having being forced to sell our club. Yeah, there's bad luck and then being associated with Vladimir Putin. <laughs> yeah, like, and there's not... and there's bad there's bad luck and agreeing to 2.6 billion pounds of the deal to sell your club to go to the to go to Ukraine and still not sanctioning it because he's still not giving them the money. Not? So oh, No. Well, listen, before we that uh, came out in the news today. Descend into uh, any more politics. Madness. Let's move on. Oh, God. Uh, right. Well, there is. we are part of the problem because we are looking at Chelsea player in Kai Havertz. And since we last recorded, there's been a lot of talk about Kai Havertz. I'm not sure he, that rumour was even around last time we spoke on, on Monday. George and I did a bonus podcast for the patrons on uh, Friday, I think it was, um, talking about that. So patrons, if you uh, have access to that, go listen to that because it's very good. Uh, if we don't say so ourselves. Um, but Brad, we haven't spoken to you about it. Thoughts on this Havertz move? I am, listen, I'm not a fan of it. I think that the club has earned its merit, that I will trust that they see something I do not. Um, but I I look at it and I go, I don't think he could, I don't think he's the same kind of eight as we've been looking at. He's very much further forward. And if we had a left-hand side that consisted of Kai Havertz and Zinchenko, and I, I worry about the um, the com- the combatability almost of that side of the pitch. Um, I he's got lots of talent, obviously, that just hasn't worked out at Chelsea. But I I look at him and I go, no one plays with a ten anymore, so that position's out. We don't play with a ten. Well, I don't think he's. Well, yeah, it could change, sure. But I, with the success that we've had with this system and with the way that a four-three-three allows you to press, I, or and and the five lanes of attackers, I I just can't see us playing a ten or sitting in a four-two-three-one. Um, I think there's a reason that we migrated away from that, um, and I don't see us regressing to that. Uh, I don't think he's a nine. I think that there's potential there for him to be a nine, but I. If we're talking about signing a, a striker, 
why are we spending large, large sums of money on one when it's not the exact profile or the exact qualitative difference that we need? You know, if you're talking about 60, 70 million pounds and you're, you're, you see him as a nine, I'm going, why aren't you slapping another 50 and trying to get an Osman or trying to get somebody who is more the qualitative difference? The one thing that I will say about Kai Havertz is he is very positionally versatile, right? And somebody said this on Twitter and I think it's really true. Um, I think he could be a very good, if, if, if we can pull out some of the Leverkusen qualities in him, I think he could be a very good 12th man signing for Arsenal. Not in the first 11, but can cover a multitude of positions in a multitude of situations. Uh, obviously has some technical qualities, though we've obviously not seen the best of that at Chelsea. And there's there's a there, there's a possibility that there's a role there but i wasn't i i'm not for the finances talked about as well 60 million pounds all in i'm still kind of going that's a lot of money for a high high risk move for me so i'm not a big fan but i'm happy to be sold on it if the two gurus that are you two can, can sell me on it um there's only one at George. <laughs> no. uh, um, so yeah, look, I, I think I think Brad, you you speak some sense in the sense that like if we're gonna upgrade a centre forward, if that's what we're trying to do, why not? If that if we see that as a serious issue in our team, which again we can have our views, but the club have their own views, then why not go out and try and get an awesome or or someone in that profile? Which is why I think it's like. Not confirmed, but I would say like I would say I'm 95% sure that this signing tells us that there is going to be some proper changes, some structural changes in terms of, and it could be a number of things because I don't think Arteta goes out and spends the reported money on someone who you know who would be our doesn't second start who should, who yeah. doesn't start yeah exactly who who would be our second highest transfer fee ever um, actually no sorry behind Pepe but for, for Arteta sorry. I think it would be, you know, White, then Havertz, then Rice, if that happens. I don't think he sees that player not starting. So that tells me then he, there's got to be some structural change because I agree with you. There is nowhere in our current 11 that I go, yeah, Havertz slots right in. So, and we've seen it every single summer. We've seen every single summer, something has changed about the team. And George and I were chatting and George, I want to come to you in a second about maybe some specifics and perhaps your, your pick out of these options that I'm about to give you. But I think it gives us, a number of different ways that we could see the team moving on. Does Havertz play in a two? Does Havertz act as the floater in one of the wide positions? Does Havertz play as a left eight and we defend differently? Does Havertz play as the, the second striker? Does Havertz play in the sort of diamond as the tip of the diamond? There's so many different options and different ways that we could deploy him. I don't believe there's anything right now in the team that works for that. So that tells me, as I say, with the money spent, et cetera, et cetera, that something is going to change. Now, George, I know you have some some thoughts on that. So is there anything that you think, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's going to be that? Or do you, do you not know either? I mean, I, I'm i pretty confident. I know how to get the best out of Kai Havertz. I just don't think we see that next season if we do end up buying him. I mean, I'm very confident in analyzing the player personally, like when we talk about what are his benefits, I think the press is a huge issue that everybody keeps ignoring. And it's not that he's a bad presser. He's able to meet 
his markers, much in the same way that Martin Odegaard does. But again, I keep asking people, like, who is claiming the second ball gap that we know that Shaka did? And so when you're talking about this stuff, like Kai Havertz in possession would have to be um, high up the pitch. He would have to be a floater. He would have to have a free roll. We give that to Martin Odegaard. Now, out of possession, he's not good enough to defend in a pivot. So therefore, we must replace Martin Odegaard's role as one of the two in a 4-4-2 and have Kai Havertz higher up. But again, where are you putting Martin Odegaard? Are we sitting here saying then that we want to defend with a Rice and Odegaard pivot in a 4-4-2? Like, is that what... The solution Odegaard's is. led our press for like two years, man. Well, like, I can't see that changing. Well, exactly. So then I, that's why I always like to push back on some of these thoughts and why I've felt, and I kind of, not to plug the bonus pod, but I've always felt that the tip of a diamond in the KDB role with a Holland S striker is how you maximize a Kai Patreon.com for the uh, Exactly. A uh, little plug. But that is how you actually maneuver this issue, right? Because in that role, Kai Havertz could still be somebody that has that free role along with Martin Odegaard, but Martin Odegaard doesn't defend in a pivot in that way. He defends with an extra body, and you're actually defending a little bit more wide spaces, which for me, Odegaard is better at. The reason that he loses the duels is when you ask him is in the center of the pitch. If you move him to the left, what happened against Crystal Palace when he played as a left center midfielder? He really got ragdolled by Gallagher. Uh, if you're asking what the press benefit of a Martin Odegaard is, it isn't winning the duel. It is being able to meet your marker and block passing lanes, right? Like that is what Martin Odegaard is excellent at. And so those qualities, they lean themselves better in the lateral side of the pitch because the angles are reduced. When you're on the wing, you kind of only have to really gauge somebody 180 degrees. As soon as you're in the middle of the pitch, you're 360. And that is where Martin Odegaard struggles because he's not quite two-way. He isn't somebody that likes to battle in 360. He likes to battle with the game in front of him. Otherwise, if you ask him to run back to goal, that is something that he doesn't like to do. And we've seen it countless times, not just in Palace. Uh, how about the Liverpool games with the Thiago slipped-in balls between that kind of Martin Odegaard, Thomas Partey channel? Why did that fall down? That was because he was running two-way. It wasn't because he was pressing from the front. So I just have some logistical questions about how people believe they may see Kai Havertz in a midfield sense. And then if you wanted to move to a center forward sense, let's ask the questions. He's very poor in contact behind. That's the whole reason he hasn't been able to adapt to that position in the Premier League. And then you move on. Okay, beyond that, does he have a capability to use his 6'2 frame to move Lewis Dunk? And I'm not being facetious here, but that's what he has to do if he's going to be a nine in the Premier League. I'm just asking like feasibility questions here. And then when you ask the talent of the player, I've done all the cons so that people can hear the pros because he is a phenomenal person in terms of analyzing space and movement. That is his superpower, okay? When you talk about transitions, he's incredibly fast. People underrate that quality. He's incredibly fast. Um, but he's somebody that finds pockets off the ball. And that is where his true strength lies. That's why he's a very good presser in terms of meeting a marker. He's able to understand the off-the-ball commitments beautifully. That is kind of his superpower. And then I do think that he's a little bit more of a composed finisher than people give him credit for. I think he's technically inconsistent, but he isn't technically incompetent. That's a very different thing for me. And I think a lot of those things could be related to confidence. It could be related to team environment. It could be related to a lot of things. But fundamentally, he's got excellent ball striking technique. I think he's got a wide array of finishing. If you look back at his Leverkusen days, don't look at Chelsea, but if you look at his Leverkusen days, he showed a quite um, different degree of finishing and passing as well. Like he played a lot deeper. So he can play between the lines on the ball. But again, how do you find a role for somebody 
that fundamentally is not the primary creator. That's never Kai Havertz, even in his late really Verkusen days. He has to be a secondary curator. You can't have this man be a second ball rover. And you can't have him be a target man because he doesn't have the body to be a target man. So those are the three question marks that you have to have with Kai Havertz. And for me, you solve that at the tip of a diamond. That's how I would solve it. But again, do you want to change the system for a 3-4-3 Cruyff diamond that is very different to what we've seen? I'm open to seeing it. But again, I just hope like fans understand that's a very different system to what we've seen for the last 12 months. He also doesn't like, you look at how much he earns. He's on yeah, a quarter yeah. of a million pounds a week. He's going to have to take, for, for this to make logistical sense and for him to fit within our structure, he's going to have to take minimum a £100,000 pay cut. He's not going to want to do that. <laughs> so well it sounds as though he I don't see how does. you then I mean sure, surely the personal terms have been agreed so I mean it sounds as though he wants a fresh start but again personal terms being agreed and us knowing the ins and outs until they come out are two very different things which is the worrying thing hmm. but then that tells me that if he if he hasn't agreed to a pay cut and he's going to become one of our highest earners it tells me yet again that this is you know this isn't some guy coming in to be quote unquote air quotes backup you know he's coming in to start and then you and then you come to all the questions that George poses it's like he isn't he isn't your primary creator he's you know he can't be your target man like he's not your second ball guy like like you need a very specific role for him which tells me and because there isn't that role in our team right now it's something has to move on so we'll see I'm, can, I'm, I, I mean, can I also I ask suppose... you guys like really quickly um, this we're all talking about problems and how he could fit and how he maybe could fit and there's a lot of debate on Twitter about this, right? Broadly, can I ask you, is this team moving towards specific roles or versatile players? Like what is the modern game? Like that is a big question at the yeah, core that I have. Like, are you spending what is equivalent of eighty million pounds, including wages yearly, on a player that is specific to a role? Is that is that like what I'm to understand? Well, Kind of Mikel's aunt, Mikel answered your question with that. I mean, if you haven't seen this, you go on George's pinned tweet <laughs> uh, at GeorgeV underscore FC and George asked him a question and Mikel says, football is becoming more and more specific and players are having more and more defined roles. And that's got to be, that's got to be it, surely. And listen, you can look at, Ka I can definitely look at Kai Havertz and look at what we have and go, I can see a future where Jesus is a winger for us more than a than a centre forward and we still pick up this quote unquote blockbuster number nine and we have have, have Havertz playing uh, the nine in, in a slightly different way to that you know I mean he's got fantastic defensive numbers for a forward like you say like his off the ball works great so I, I think that there's a, there's a way that this works I just I'm not confident in his in his ability to regain his confidence, I guess, um, because I think we're all agreed that there was absolutely a player in there at Leverkusen, but it's been a tough few years for the lad. Um, but I mean, if you're as long as it doesn't compromise other moves financially, I'm fine with it. I, I do I do agree he's had a couple, tough couple of years, but I wonder whether that's slight recency bias because this I mean this is a guy who scored a Champions League winning goal in 2021. Like what what could be a bigger confidence booster than that. I suppose what we're seeing is... The shittest, is, uh, like the shite seasons of finishing either side of that. 
Uh, oh, actually, no, 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 you know for, what? For sure. I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even do that. Going to the game. What did he do in that very game that people like to cite from an achievement standpoint? And I know that's not what you're saying, Alex. Like you're saying more like what what achievement does he need to be confident beyond that? Yeah, 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 but like yeah, I, yeah. I look at that game in isolation. He was there for one moment. But if you actually analyze the game, it was quite poor for <laughs> like he was quite absent in yeah. the game. That action was yeah. excellent. Look, I, um, but again, I'm I'm not in any way pretending he's played his best football. Like yeah. let's be clear. Like and and, and what, what also what is exciting is he holds the record for most goals in the Bundesliga by a teenager in a single season with 17 for Leverkusen. You know, so, and that was, I believe, Georgie, you might be able to correct me on this, but I believe that was from midfield. So, like, there, there is something there. And if there's one guy, and this is the point I want to make, if there's one guy who can pick players up with a lot of talent in their 20s, early 20s, late teens, and turn them into killers, we have that guy as our coach. So, I, I and, and this is the thing, it's like, I don't just want to go, I blindly trust Arteta, but to some degree, if Arteta supposedly is the guy pushing for this, that tells me that he sees something. So, you know, when we have to, at some degree, you just have to trust the manager. Like, like what else are you meant to do? Yeah. Um, before we go to questions in the second part of the show, that half an hour flew by. Um, very important news. William Saliba taking the number two, Brad. Add it, wait, when does that come out? It's pretty much confirmed. I hey. mean, but what that means Brad, I, I thought... is we could potentially line up in a 1 2 11. We could line up Shut in a 1 2 11. Ramsdale, Saliba, the new left back, centre back, or whatever we're going to get, or maybe maybe Zinchenko goes to three. Four's Ben White, five is five, Rysel Partey, six, seven. Mate, we're away. We're away. Smith Rowe in the 10. I've got a huge erection. Right. Uh, <laughs> we've got lots more uh, questions, mostly about transfers, let's be clear, in the second part. And we'll see you after this. Oh, jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. Rice and Caicedo, Rice and Caicedo, Rice and Welcome Caicedo. back to the second part of the show. Thank you to those of you who are in the Different Knock Members Club. Join at patreon.com forward slash Knock and get access to the exclusive Discord server, ad-free versions of all of our content, including main and bonus podcasts, instant reactions, the rewatch, and bonus video content. It's so much for just £3 a month, for goodness sake. And for one time support, it's a buymeacoffee.com forward slash Can Buy me coffee. The links are in the show description. Good question in here from... Wolf underscore AFC. And he asks, how many points, or they, or she, <laughs> how many points do you think the following signings can add? Or Wolf add self. Or Wolf self. Hey, it's 2023. How many points do you think the following signings can add to Arsenal individually next season? And I was given a, a name of a few players, but I just want to focus on a few. How many points? Maybe give me a number. I'll start with you, Brad. Declan Rice adds 
Romeo Lavia ads, Kai Havertz ads. He's also put Caicedo, but I, I just can't see that happening. Um, Although, let's do Caicedo as well. Between who adds, I, I, between, who adds the most? I'd say I'd say Rice is at the top of that list. I think Rice adds the most. Oh yeah, Rice adds the most. I, I I'm looking that, and my answer is more based on that window as a whole. I think it's really really difficult when you are in the upper echelons of the league, buying players. Does yeah, you're not, adding so, six so, points, maybe five. You're not yeah, adding. You know, you're, you're adding five points. You're not adding kind of. It's very different if a if a Crystal Palace, for example, have a fucking phenomenal summer. They could add fifteen points onto their total, twenty points onto their total at a snap. So it, it's it's a different kind of conversation. I think that if if we take Caicedo off the table and we look at that window as a whole, that can get you between kind of five and eight extra points a season. I think of times when Thomas Partey wasn't able to play because of his fitness issues, and we have either Lavia or Rice available. Um, uh, Havertz as another versatile forward. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a good window. Um, but I, I've, I've not got a crystal fucking ball, man. I definitely not. <laughs> George? Um, listen, I, I will say one thing. I think Rice alone adds 10 points to this team. If you were to just do Ooh. Rice, and the reason that I'll say those things is because... Let's have a look at the run-in. How, how long has it been since Arsenal have had a consistent six option that's available for a 38-game season? Have we had that in the last two to three years? I don't think so. No. Um, do you believe that Rice on his own can do at least one winning game goal? Do you think that he has it in him to have a superpower of carrying it from box to box and offering what he's done so many times for West Ham just once? That's three points, lads. And then when you have a look at it, what is the impact of having a rice on Martinelli, Jesus, and Saka in terms of what kind of freedom those boys are able to have? Big erections. Big erections, indeed. So I just, I, <laughs> I really think sometimes, you know, when we have a look at it, Jesus himself um, is probably the best example of maybe what uh, we could probably see as a difference to this season and the season before. It was the off the ball movement, right? Like Jesus, in terms of how many points that he, gave us I think was more to do with what he gave to the team maybe over an individual and I think that Rice is the epitome of that I think what he gives to the team is going to be a lot more than just the individual quality and by the way the individual quality alone is pretty freaking great so yeah I, I think he alone would get you 10 points for those reasons and then when you start to look at the other stuff I honestly worry I'll be honest because I said the positives but I think Havertz changing the midfield so much to accommodate somebody like him may have teething pains in midfield. And that could be a detriment. Like I ironically feel, say you didn't do a Havertz and you weren't blowing up the midfield, but you just got a Rice. Under the same dynamics, I could see more points than the two together, despite them both being very quality players. I think that that would indicate a much bigger rebuild. I think it means maybe less points, but it might be for a potentially greater future. I mean, that, that's very possible. Man City did that this year, by the way, with Holland. Um, you know, they had to rework how they attacked and they're far better for it. But the first eight months of the season, they struggled. There was there was an issue. Some time. So, yeah. Yeah, it's part, partly why I'm worried about the the Partey rumours. And again, I've spoken about this before. Like, well, let's let's talk about that, actually, because while we're on that, because that, that's a good jumping off point. Like, 
How worried are you, Brad, about... Because we are slightly blowing up the midfield. And there's a part of me that thinks it's... You just want to get the best players in. And I think there's there's a read on last at the end of last season where Partey makes that mistake at West Ham. He's not playing his best. Mikel drops him. Jorginho looks as good. And he's clearly just not as reliable as we need him to be. And we, we've we all known that there is a growth potential there with Partey. Like, there's something there. Of course, there's somewhere to upgrade. But the question of, like, moving on two of the three of the, of those of that midfield, Jacob Partey and got played most of the league games. Does that worry you as much as it worries me? Because it, it worries me. Yeah, massively. I think it's kamikaze. Um, I, I I don't see the... I, the, th- the problem with Partey... Um, Footballing wise, you know, <laughs> is that just, at the end of the day, footballing wise, just to clarify, just to clarify, I feel like you have to do this every time that that name pops up. You right? have and to, it's so you have annoying. To. It's so fucking annoying. Um, he's 30 turning 31, two years left on his deal, earning a lot of money. You probably, in Arsenal's situation, don't want to give him a new contract to protect his value because then you're tied into the more twilight years of his career at a very pretty penny. Um, but then, if you want to, if you want to achieve maximum value, this summer's probably the summer that you sell. So I think Arsenal are caught a little bit between a rock and a hard place about what to do with Thomas Partey. Me, I'd accept a financial loss and keep him for a season, even if he isn't going to play, even if he is going to be the fourth person in the midfield, rather than selling him a year early and really destabilising what was a massively positive jump forward. Hmm. I think what you get with players of his age is a consistent performance level. Now, I appreciate towards the end of the season he dropped off, but what I mean is between games. When you're when you're playing like the first like sort of 20, 30 games of that season, his performance levels didn't vary too much. Whereas players like, you know, Smith Rowe, whatever, they can play amazing one game and then terrible the next game. And I'm worried about that because although you, there's a there's a ceiling on what he can do, we know what we're gonna get. And I just think having too many you know, it's great to get younger, but we've done that now. And like I you like the best teams, the treble winning team, the Invincible team, whatever, they have the perfect blend of youth and experience. You have enough players who can, you know what you're getting. You have enough players who are kind of unknown quantity and are going to improve and get better and are showing you improving themselves and have more to more to give, more energy or whatever. So you need that blend. You need it on anything. You need it in any successful project. You need a blend of, of skills and personality types, et cetera, et cetera. You can't just have one thing. That said, there is a financial thing to consider here. I would fall down brad on your side and say ultimately let's say Partey goes to one year out and we sell him next summer how much would we get for him let's say maximum like the best case scenario 30. Oh, with a year left well i suppose if he's going to saudi if we're if top Burley's invested is, in is saudi point. a fair um, like comparison though yeah like in a in a normal market yeah. let's say i think you'd be i would be happy with like 15 million max like for a player who's 31 with a year left on their deal, like who's, by the way, clearly not declining, but clearly, you know, physically there's... And clearly unreliable. Yeah, there's clearly a physically something not right. I'd be happy with 15 million, maybe 20. If we sold him this summer... Is that worth it to you? That's what I'm saying. If we sold him this summer, 
what what's like the max we'd get for him again ignoring Saudi maybe maybe what we paid what what 40 I don't know I think get 30 maybe from a from a from a Premier League club possibly but I I really can't see that happening the problem is is there's no money in Europe anymore yeah exactly so I, I I just think like for the sake of 10 million like why like is it's basically the question of do you want that player in your squad for ten million pounds? Do, do you know what I? That's that's your. Do question. you know what I always do with these debates because we end up kind of doing this whether it's Havertz or insert any name that you or may not like or you do like, right? Like I always say, what's the trade off? So if you're telling me we're getting rid of somebody for fifteen million pounds in the squad, what is the buy that you're replacing that with and the quality that that replaces? Okay, and, and what is Thomas Partey worth even for ten games? I'm going to be very extremist. What is he worth in a market value for having Thomas Partey level for 10 games? Which I think is facetious, but he does guarantee you for as much of his availability issues, 10 games of world-class ability, right? So what is that worth in the market? Maybe even 20, you know, maybe even 20 Maybe even 20, but I'm going to go super low just to to make it very facetious. But what is that worth in the market? I I think it's above 15 million pounds, personally. It's certainly Mm. 35 million pounds, in my opinion. Now, Now, the question is, uh, who is paying that in Europe? And it, it, you know, so if, if you know that that's not a possibility, no. then it kind of becomes a moot point. You know what I mean? And that's why I've always been a fan of keep him, let him run out his length of contract personally, um, and then we recruit around to the point that we don't need him anymore. And I, and I will maintain, for example, Mohamed Al Nini, Jorginho. For as much as I've given the devil's advocate answers to Jorginho, those are two players I would move on far before. Thomas Partey, if we're talking sixth depth, you know, in quotes or air quotes, but, but yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And I, I also think this is something that, you know, we say, okay, but you know, for, for two years out, you renew or you sell. I actually think that's a becoming a slightly outdated opinion for me. No, I just meant that it's the value point. No, 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 I don't, like, no, no. If you were- not with you, I mean, in gen- in football general terms. I think the yeah. idea in, in a specific situation, I think it can be like, okay, we need to, we either need to renew or sell. Yeah, like with Partey, um, possibly that's right or wrong. I don't, I don't know, but I think generally, as we've as we've seen, I think we're going to see Ven- like the kind of Wenger thing of players are going to start running down their deals. There's there's going to be more more of these situations where you go, let's pay a transfer fee of fifty million pounds that gets us five years of this player. We're not going to be able to sell him probably. Plus wages, let's say, uh, I don't know, 12, 13 million pounds a season for five years of that guy. And then he goes at the end. You know, like that that might be the way of looking at it. You go, okay, we're paying 13 million a season for this guy. Is that worth it? Yeah, probably. You know, like for for someone who someone who's ultimately that level of depth. Because let's be clear, starting game of the season, Declan Rice has got a, a hammy issue or something. Because he will, because it's Arsenal. Um, you don't want to be playing. You don't want El Nenny. Come on, like we're past yeah. that now, man. Like, and, that- and also, like as as talented as Lavia is, the kid's nineteen, and you want to be using him as the rotation at during the Champions League. That's 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 more kamikaze and suicidal than than like that's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, question from Franco SKR on the Discord says. Can you talk about Balogun? Should we let him go? And if so, how much? Yes. I'm very much encamped in the sell him. 
Oh, that's it. Just a straight up, uh, just straight up. Sound. Well, yeah. I, mean, just, I don't. I don't. I, I, well, I'd, I'd love to hear your your points on it. I just. I don't see. I think that with a player like that, he's had one season in a league where captain KFC himself, Lacazette, scored thirty goals, um, and there is no guarantee that he comes to Arsenal or goes to any other club and does the same. And keeps his current value at, at the same level. So if you can extract 30 to 40 million pounds for me from a homegrown, a homegrown academy player who there's no guarantee could could turn into anything more than he currently is, which is a okay, good striker, I don't see why you why you would you would risk that. Um and I don't think he wants to come back and play second fiddle. I think this is a conversation that, you know, has already been had in the kind of stratosphere. So I wonder if you guys see something I don't, but I don't, I I, I think it's very clear cut. I have two opinions on this because the talent, uh, I'm going to shock people. I believe in Balogun hugely. I mean, I've analyzed the player quite well. The only reason I'm in the sell category personally is because for him, at this point in his development, he cannot sit on the bench. It, it will not happen. And so from a development aspect, I would never want to recommend that. But then on the other hand, I'm sitting there telling people, this boy has the potential to play for a top six team as a starting center forward. That is how much I believe in the talent of Balogun. Now, my question is always when I ask people, are we going a false nine route in the future? I mean, even with the Kai Havertz guys, like let's analyze something for a second. Like is a false nine type of striker something that Mikel enjoys? And is that something that you want down the line? If it is, then the Balogun question is a lot harder than people just, you know, want to admit because that is him grown out. That is him. And, you know, it's not even just grown out, but even now he has shown the ability and consistency to do it in top five league. So he is that profile. The question I have is, is that redundant with Trossard? Is that redundant with Jesus? Is that redundant with who we have in the squad? I would say yes. But on Balogun as a player, um, for me, he, he's a complete nine. He lives off the shoulder of a last defender. Again, sounds like Havertz. He's an instinctive finisher, really clinical with both feet. Um, and he's able to find kind of the bottom corner with a lot of power and precision, either foot. Um, he's got really blistering pace and he's got predatory movement on the back line. He's able to run in behind and he's able to really target opposition spaces. Again, guys, who am I describing? Kai Havertz has a lot of similarities here, despite the kind of frame differences. Now, this is where they diverge, okay? Kai Havertz is a 6-2 frame that doesn't use it. Balogun is like a 5-10 frame who does use it. His superpower is not just the composure in front of goal, but it's his ability to pin opposing center backs and roll them. His ability to receive under pressure and roll contact before he bursts in on a goal is his superpower. And so, uh, again, that that is the big question mark that I have, you know, from a trait perspective. You've got the player that many people are theorizing Kai Havertz to be, right? Like, even his most defensive people are saying the frame of Kai Havertz is exciting for being a target man type of center forward. You've got a prospect right now that is more developed in that skill. It was shorter, sure, but he's more developed in the skill that you're asking him to do. So is it the skill that you want or are you buying potential? And in that case, you've got potential. <laughs> like you have the Hale end boy. So it's just, I find it redundant to 
sell Balogun, but waste 60 million on Havertz. That's the divide I get. But on an individual level, selling Falerian Balogun makes all the sense in the world because that boy needs to start. He's not going to get the games and he's going to demand for it. He's an alpha mentality. He demanded a starting center forward role with the U.S. national team, not just for the sake of it. He wants to be the poster boy. And fair play to the lad. Like, he, he deserves it. His, his, uh, he scored in his debut. Don't yeah. You? Yeah. Mate. And you know what? Like, his talent, it's not just potential, guys. Like, he's shown it as of last season. Like, it's not just, you know, me being the youth weirdo that's analyzing these traits. Like, he is a proven sample for what he's demanding. So I have no problem with selling him. But I do tell people, you are selling somebody that, in my opinion, is going to be a starting center forward for a top six club in quality. And I'm okay with it because I'm going to get good money for it. But it doesn't mean he's crap. And it doesn't mean I then support maybe the other move of what I'm seeing in Kai Havertz. Because I, I then look at it and I'm questioning myself. Like, I don't know why we're choosing to bank potential on somebody that's not one of our own, in a sense. And so that's where I struggle. Is he starting potential for a top two club in the Premier League? Challenging, thrown out. I think, yeah, I think these are the conversations that we need to start thinking about and looking at having. Because I look at Jesus and I go, long term, is he the centre forward for the second best club in the country who are consistently challenging a dynasty? No. Mm. Yep. George, do you think you're slightly biased because he plays for your country? <laughs> Um, no, that has nothing to do with it. <laughs> We're crap. <laughs> you know? So I, I genuine question, genuine question. Do you think Babs thinks you're American? I do, a hundred percent. I'm pretty sure he thinks you're American. Hundred <laughs> percent. There's been a few things he said. I'm like, you know, he's Canadian, right? <laughs> <laughs> Although, fun, fun thing. I have a duel. I, he probably thinks Canada is a is a yeah, state. To be fair, we it's a state. We, we're not a country for a lot of people, but uh, to be fair, I do have dual citizenship, so he's not a hundred percent wrong. Okay, okay, but he's got the green card, ladies. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> he's attractive. <laughs> um, we've got a question from at ctllz1 which is probably quite a hard one to answer but do you guys believe we will have another Vier- Williams Bergevic <laughs> it's it's fucking Arsenal tattoo uh, Fellaini we'll have do you guys believe we'll have another Vieira or Kivior signing that comes out of the blue this summer I would love that I would love yes. that to be Ivan Frostada gonna come out right out and say it like I would love that to be the case is that out of the blue I feel like we've been linked for years yeah, I'm talking like yeah, someone, not... someone no one was talking about until he signs like three days later I'd love one of those probably probably they tend to they've done one like every summer every every window haven't they I mean yeah I mean you look at Tommy Asu was probably that of that window like it it turned around really quick when you when you think about it I mean Fabio Vieira of that same window look I Jorginho turned around quick we can we move quick when we want to we do we do move quick uh Okay, honestly, I'm going to surprise people. I don't think we do it. And that's just because I think that this summer window is the marquee window. I, I think that we may move quick on targets, but I don't think that we get that like gem that we're looking to cultivate. Like I look at Fabio Vieira and he was a project signing for not now, but for the future Arsenal. Um, I could look like egg on my face in about a week when Kai Havertz signs because um, he kind of fits that mold. But I don't know if that's quite out of the blue. Oh. Um if you want to call it that. Uh, I just feel that this summer window was always about the marquees, fundamentally. So you address big pieces for securing kind of your future to, ta- to challenge uh, Manchester City. I don't think that we should be buying for the future 
quite yet. I would like to have that Virgil van Dyke Allison window. And then in phase five, you can solidify it with those types of signings. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult to answer whether we're going to have a shock signing, isn't it? Because like, who knows? But yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like that. I think what's interesting, Brad, like, it, it, it did feel like we very quickly pivoted to, to Jorginho and we very quickly had Trossard as our next. And I think this is something that we, I think I might have said this on the bonus pod, George, like, not to plug it again, but the idea that they actually two no two plug it again, yeah. Listen to it, <laughs> um, and uh, it feels like we have our we do have a list, and this is the thing is supposedly we were in for Mount and again. You know, you can only take reports. Uh, you can only have to take them with a pinch of salt. But Brad, like supposedly we were in for Mount and then we've gone for Habits. Now those are two extremely different types of profiles. Um, sorry, no, they're not. They're both cams on FIFA, so they're not. Um, but the uh, but yeah, they're very different types of profiles. And I wonder whether I I just wonder how we're approaching it because like is it the case that that there is no replacement for Declan Rice? So I wonder whether we have like the Rice is the top priority, then a different vision of the team due to the next guy. And their different vision of the team due Probably. to the next. Do you know what I mean? Like you have to adapt around your talent. So maybe if something happens, I think we Rice move is the unicorn, though. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. yeah, like I, I don't think it's a similar situation. I think, for example, with our left centre mid, we could find two or three analogues of each other of the same quality. Rice is kind of the, especially if, when you look at his future at six, like. I think Rice is, is you either get Rice or you dream up a different plan. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he's, I don't. I don't. Worth, I don't think it's. Yeah, and I don't think it's the same um, anywhere else across the board, which is why it's again, like you say, it's strange that we were in for Mount and now we're in for Havertz, two completely different profiles of of player slash midfielder. Um, I mean, who fucking knows, mate. Who knows? I mean, you, you sign some players. You mean you haven't got sign some Williams? You mean you have <laughs> Williams? You mean you haven't got Mikel's number? Come on. Um, what was going? Oh, I had a question. Where was it? It's gone. Oh, here we go. Uh, question for the Discord: How much should we or could we be making off of possible outgoings? Brad, I feel this is a question up your street. Uh, Who's in the departure lounge and how much are you aiming right. to make? No, I. Uh, if it's me, I've got a list here. I've. Where is it? I, I have my Excel file ready. I don't know if that surprises people. Yeah. But I, no, no, no. <laughs> mine's. We're, we're good to go, George. Let's do it. Uh, look, I, I think you need a minimum of 100 million pounds in sales. Um, I'm demanding this because I think that Arsenal are now at a position that they should be able to sell well. Edu, for all of his um, improvements, uh, let's say, in terms of his dealings, I think sales have been his ever-arching con as a sporting director. And there's just no need for us to have it. We actually have sellable assets, in my opinion, that should command fairly decent fees. And we have um, enough um, kind of credit in the bank globally that I think teams will be interested in our players. I don't think it will be from a lack of interest from certain assets. For example, I think Sambi Lakunga is somebody that teams will be interested in buying. And I don't think he's on extraordinate wages. I don't think that there is an issue in selling that asset for good money. Flarian Balligan, again, another top prospect, um, you know, that should be sold. 
for very good money. Um, look, Grant Shaka, we're doing more of a favor in a sense, right? Um, you know, so I, I understand the fee being low, but uh, even Kieran Tierney, um, who is still not confirmed. I mean, there's recent reports that apparently, you know, he's looking at staying, something that, you know, everybody listening knows I would love. But there are three players there in Sambi, Kieran Tierney, Shaka, Balogun. Um, there's enough value there, guys. And I think even at low-end estimates of, what, 35 million pounds, 30 million pounds for KT, um, you know, Shaka getting 13 million pounds. Like, you're approaching the 100 million pound mark with, like, those three to four sales already, you know. and Send them to Al Nasser. <laughs> yeah, and that's without doing the Saudi influence. But, um, yeah, look, I think that there's a big list. I'll let maybe Brad do his uh, more elongated list of who to sell. But I will say that I think that um, we've already started. Mari for 6 million pounds got the ball rolling, right? Hey! Yeah. <laughs> hey, he's gone. No, I, I mean, my, my list is big. You look, we could get rid of Holding, Xhaka, Pepe, Laconga, Tavares, Cedric. Mari's already gone. Runison will go, but that'll probably be a free. Patino's going to go. Uh, Trusty could go. And then Balogun and Tierney, you're talking about 12 players. It's there. a huge list. I so, really don't... Was Jorginho on that list? No. And Partey? No. 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 No Jorginho, no Partey, no Arneni on that list. Because I don't know the situation of El Nenny's injury, um, you know. From that, you I, I, you need to be getting upwards of kind of one hundred and twenty five to one hundred and fifty million pounds. Like that's that's basically like ten million quid a fucking player at that point. One one thing that I did want to like just put out there, guys, um, in terms of the exits, Arsenal have nineteen out of an available seventeen non homegrown players registered in the roster. It's already over. And um, look, uh, you know, Rice wouldn't count as somebody that we'd have to worry about. And of course, Grant Shaka is leaving. But guys, we are over on the commitments. And Kai Havertz is a foreign player. Like, when you're looking at incomings, I do think it's good. it's not hard for us to get rid of this list, I will say. Um, you know, I think there's people there that will send out on loan or leave. I'm not worried, but we are over. And I think it's a big part of our business that not a lot of people are going to be looking into. Because I do agree with Alex's earlier podcast point where he feels that, you know, we're going to go big and then there might be a lull in terms of incomings. And I think that's because there's a huge amount of outgoings that I don't think people realize that we need to finish. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of work to yeah. be done. Yeah. You, and you have to sell from a position of strength. You can't be selling from a... Yeah. Which is why I think, you know, gen generally these types of sales, the sales that are, you know, players that realistically every club knows they're not in your first 11. They do tend to happen a little bit later because people wait. You know, and Pe Pepe is going to be another Aubameyang. Like, I don't think we get money for that. It's going to be another terminated contract. Oh, and I don't know. I think we can Denver get Nuggets, like 10 million. <laughs> Denver Nuggets. Send him to the Denver Nuggets. Denver Nuggets. He's going there. <laughs> Let me tell you. Boys, it's been a pleasure and we have just, just got time for a little bit of Arsenal trivia. We're sort of back and forth there. The last theme was shirt numbers. And I asked you to name, you weren't here, George, the last five number 12s for Arsenal. Okay. Saliba, Giroud, Henri. Um, that's definitely three of mm. them. I want them in order, please. <laughs> oh... Do one. Uh, did Willian? Didn't Willian have a number twelve? Willian, yeah. 
Um, Willian. God. Did, did, do you know who I'm thinking of? Uh, Licksteiner. Because did, didn't Bellerin? Yes. Because Bellerin had the two, right? So Licksteiner. Bellerin had the two. So if we're doing order from newest to well, oldest. Giroud, Licksteiner, and Willian are up there, right? And Saliba. Yeah. And Saliba. It's just, I think on... Henri is the one where it could it could go wrong. I know. And is is there somebody like a like a striker, like an old striker between that era? When did we sign Giroud though? Because Giroud had the twelve for a long time. So I can envisage I can envisage a world where Henri had it and then immediately Giroud picks it up and then but he would it went fit, to right? say like, Licksteiner. I, I have an idea of on a player, but I think I could be so wrong. Wait, 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 no, answers, please. Wait, who's this player that you think? Just uh, Vega. This. Carlos Vega. Yeah. Oh, um, I, um, I would say Henri's after Vega. Okay, let's, let's go. Let's, yeah, let's go with Henri. I need your final answers, please, boys. All right, Henri, Giroud, Licksteiner, William, Saliba. William Saliba. Bang on. We'll take. We will take. Bang yes. on. Do you know what? I try and make these questions hard, but you guys smash them. <laughs> very good at them. Very, very good. And George. Get I, in, George. George, I'll be coming to you for a theme in a second. Excellent. Uh, you pulling out this Lichsteiner week. out of your ass, George. Elite. <laughs> Fucking elite. Incredible. Well, if you'd asked me that, I could tell you the last 10. So, um, The theme is... One week, actually. From next week, Brad. Can you do Arsenal trivia? Because yeah. I, wanna, I, I wanna want to answer Arsenal trivia. <laughs> okay. I will take over Arsenal trivia. I'm going to remind you because you will forget. The theme <laughs> yeah, for next week Classic. is, so this week is, sorry, <laughs> Edu Gaspar. And I would like to ask you, for how many, well, how many years did Edu Gaspar play for Brazil? I.e., when did he make his debut? And when did he play his last game for Brazil? How many years did Edu Gaspar play for Brazil? And the theme for this week, please, George. For me to write down. For Bradley, actually. Yeah. Let, let's do the most successful German imports in the Premier League. Not just Arsenal, because that would probably be very easy. Ooh. But on the theme of Kai Havertz, the most impressive German okay. imports to the Premier League. Okay. 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 I look forward to reminding you about that sort of what we uh, two minutes before the podcast starts, Brad, for a little frantic, <laughs> week, yeah. frantic bit of preparation. Just Google's German Premier League player <laughs> trivia. Yeah. Um, the question uh, this week is, um, uh, <laughs> lads, M- M- as was, always, was he German? <laughs> well, wasn't he Turkish? <laughs> he was. Yeah. Or am I getting that wrong? No, no, yeah. no, 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 he was Turkish. <laughs> Have you got any? Give me a trivia question. I want to. I want to show off. I guarantee I'll get this um, one. George, okay. Thinking, George, who, question. who? Who was the last? Uh, who were the last four players at Arsenal to wear the number <laughs> twenty-six? What the fuck? <laughs> Riyad Mahrez. <laughs> um, I genuinely don't know. I, I can't remember. I think Balogun wore twenty-six. But apart from that, I, yep. I couldn't tell you. I could not tell you. No, no, you did. You did better I'm than me. Twenty-six out. is a weird number. At least with twelve, 
Bentner. You know what's a low one? 29 I could do better, actually. Yeah. 29 I've got, I could do a few for you, but like... Oh, no, this is... this is it. So it's Balogun, Martinez, oh, yeah. Frimpong, <laughs> and Bentner. Frimpong. Uh, Those were pe- the peak banter era. That is peak... Emmanuel Frimpong stepping onto an Arsenal pitch is peak banter era. <laughs> George, to close out the show, give us a give us a trivia question. Give you a trivia question. Okay. Um, who who were Arsenal's? Um... Yes. <laughs> what, what, what were our what who is Miles Lewis? Well, yeah. Well, who, who was our um, most appearances from the academy into the first team? Uh, our top three, because I think you know one's pretty easy. But who are the top three Hale End graduates to make the most appearances in an Arsenal shirt? Okay, define Hale End grads. Uh, try like anybody that has legitimately played in the academy. So like you know. Okay, okay, okay. So we couldn't like Cess doesn't. No, count. no, Cess doesn't count. Yeah. Okay. No Martinelli's and stuff like that. Right. I'll be real. I right. asked the question. I don't know if what your answers are correct. <laughs> okay. Can you can you Google it? Yeah. Can you Google it so we can uh, we can know? Brad, I need your help, and don't Google it yourself. Um. I'm gonna put Wilshire in there. Yeah, I'd go Wilshire. Martinez, count. Um, I don't think he'd be in the yeah, but, yeah, top three. I, he, no, I think I, I don't. He would would count. Ashley Cole. Yep. Cole Wilshire. Saka's probably not far off at this point. Yeah, those would be my three. I think because ultimately it's like. Once you, I think he's got like 200 or so appearances for Arsenal. And once you're at that point, you're going to be a notable Hailender. Like yeah. Someone like and you, someone like Maitland Niles, just purely because he's been around so long, but he'd never had a real long stretch. Bellerin, maybe? Does Bellerin count? Yeah, no, yeah, Bellerin played for the academy. I'm going to say. Okay, so Bellerin. I'm going to say. Yeah, Bellerin, Cole, Wilshire. That's my answers. I would swap out Cole for Saka. Okay. Come on, George. Okay, so it is definitely Wilshire is up there. Um, I think you guys have missed Liam Brady, though. Um, oh, yeah, but football didn't exist before 1992, George. <laughs> See, this is what this is what you forget. <laughs> and Saka's quote. Before Sky, before Sky invented football, it didn't exist. Saka, Saka is very close. He will overtake Tony Adams very soon, but I think th- those are the top three. Uh, oh, fuck, of course. And uh, Liam Brady. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about... Oh, fuck's sake. Those old twats. <laughs> oh, fucked it. Said I wanted to show off, and I've just been shown up. You know what? Merced is actually Lads. oddly very close, <laughs> which is quite funny to me. <laughs> of course he is. Well, you know, Boomerang, he's fantastic. I don't know why he's Harry Redknapp. Right, lads, pleasure as always. We will see you next Monday uh, for another podcast. We'll have lots and lots of content out on the Patreon. Uh, if you want to sign up to that, uh, plug again. Thanks, as always, for listening. Keep it. Defrenok. And we will see you later. Peace. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to The Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support The Different Knock, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com. We're on all social media at Diff Knock. 
Thanks. Sports Social Podcast Network.